This is a fourth hand production. Like he just, I, I don't know. You know, like I said, you, you get too many things involved. You get too deep into something, and eventually you kind of kind of lose your way a bit. Um, despite everything going on and the travels that he had, uh, him and Dominique would take around the world, whether it was to chase UFO sightings or partake in hypnosis or some tribal ritual, which John just wanted to experience as much as he could. Word was getting out of his work and his travels. So much so that even Chris Carter, now is that name ring a bell? Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't you know, know planes man. that they're building. Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Yeah, welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Bud Kelly Hopkinsville. Uh, you're already off and running. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. What made you think of Kelly Hopkinsville? Oh, because I was thinking of Bud Hopkins. Ah. <laughs> you're planting a seed, sir. You're, you're ruining yeah, the surprise. Yeah, I was just thinking of, uh, you know, wordplay. Cause, ah, okay. I gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of wordplay, please tell me you guys haven't played that Wordle thing yet, have you? Have you heard of that? I'm not a fucking poser, Shane. I don't just follow trends. <laughs> good. Uh, I did, no. but you did. Man, it's blowing up, evidently. I haven't touched it, but I, somebody bought it. Like it's. Listen, I already fun. have a crossword puzzle app on my phone. I don't need to fuck another one, okay? Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I saw an in New York Times bought Wordle. I don't know. I've never heard of it was? until I saw it yeah. today. Yeah, I'd never heard of it until a few weeks ago when everyone started posting their scores, and I was just like, I know. It's like, stupid. come on, people, really? Fucking get some I, I, it, but I have words with like, friends. Does that it. count? No. When was the last time you opened words with friends? Uh, <laughs> I deleted it because it just sat on my phone, <laughs> taking up space for so long. Uh, I downloaded it during uh, quarantine, and Tori and I were playing for a little bit, but it would just drain my phone. Like I'd play oh, yeah. it for like fifteen minutes, dude. Dude, you down like twenty percent? Like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's yeah, insane. Yeah. yeah, and then like you know whoever finishes the game of scrabble get <laughs> no, the same yeah the same premise exactly so there's been I like four total games in the history of scrabble that people have finished it's fucking funny it's like monopoly you know I, I i every now and again i'll break out like the wife bought me a ghostbusters version of monopoly because you know why wouldn't she and i love playing it but then you get three quarters through the game like ah, okay i'm fuck fuck fed up i can't do this anymore <laughs> i'm done yeah it's, it's i sad. don't like to play games that take more than like 30 minutes to complete yeah i think that's me too kind of i lived in this small town in illinois once and we would play monopoly like every night because that's all there was to do and that's the only time i've ever finished a game of monopoly because you had to you'd have Mm. you'd have a choice but then i realized i probably shouldn't play it because i get fucking pissed with monopoly (laughs) it's like playing risk i'm really really competitive when i fucking break john's inner landlord comes out I'm like are you kidding me you sold that to him you said you were gonna sell that to me like I've almost lost friendships. Over did Monopoly. you see you fucking cross electric company? You owe me $4. <laughs> did you see what you did right there? I don't Come care on. if you can't afford it. Figure <laughs> it the fuck out. I will Susan, send my fucking start driving for Lyft. <laughs> <laughs> fucking amazing. <clears throat> anyway. 
No, too cool. Um, so just to start this whole thing off, no more of this cool episode. This is one of our uh, our own write-ups, and I'll say forgive me, listeners. So I think I'm okay, but fuck. I woke up Friday, had a sore throat, and I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Fucking down the rabbit hole. Because it's been, what, is it two years? Well, March is going to be two years. I, I have yet to catch COVID. I took the antigen test, all that other bullshit, or the antibody test, you know, and I, I don't have them, so I know I didn't get it. And uh, come to find out, it's just a cold. But even though it was a wicked fucking cold and the wife literally quarantined me, I mean, I felt like a hunchback of Notre Dame in my own house. Uh, fucking, you're in the bedroom. Don't come out. I'll fucking slide food underneath your door. Whatever fits is what you're going to eat. And that's basically the weekend. So, you know, there's that. But I do feel better, which is a good thing. So hopefully I can get through this without fucking sniffling and coughing and stuff like that. So you, you sound good. Yeah, 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 zippy toppy, maybe, but we'll see. Tip fucking top. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, You guys got anything else on your side as far as, you know, life, fucking walking on the beach, anything? Mm. We vented a little bit prior, but I think that's out of us now. Yeah, I don't really care about walking on the beach, if anybody knows. I'm not a big beach person. I like the sand squishing between my toes. Uh, Sand just gets everywhere. Like, all of a sudden, you'll get back to Utah, and you still have sand somewhere. Yeah, I didn't even lay down on the beach, and sand's in my ass. How'd that happen? I I don't understand. I like to go to a uh, bar that's, like, near the beach and just kind of look at it from there. (laughs) Just from the the viewpoint of. Yeah, I want all the benefits of being near water. Without, but but not in the it. shit that's not super fun about it. Oh, uh, it's funny you mention that because I cut a little blurb today, some article about um, a one tiny drop of seawater and they blew it blew it up underneath a microscope. Holy shit! There's some things. So a lot, a lot of stuff living, huh? Uh, just all kind of stuff. Yeah, bacteria and fucking bugs and all kinds of yeah. Which is hey, that's cool. That's just what the world's made yeah, out it of. Reminds me of third grade science when we put a droplet of pond water underneath the magnifying glass. Yeah, the pond that you've been playing in for like five years prior and you didn't mm-hmm. have a problem with. Yeah, that, yeah. Still didn't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You got to eat a little dirt. Yeah, you have to one way or another. But anyway, so folks, so we actually have, so we've been doing this, talking about this for a while, I guess, right? I mean, we you know, this guy kind of fascinated me personally. And uh, so, you know, I got a book uh, from a guy. Actually, I will share the book. And this is a listener recommendation to, I think I want to say, I want to say Ian. Is that right? Oh, geez, dude. Is that I right? don't know. Mm, You're the one that brought bad. it up. I fucking, yeah, now I feel bad. Don't ask us. Yeah. Well, one, <laughs> You did say that it was, I think, not just a liter- listener's suggestion, but that it was a Patreon suggestion. But yeah, a little bit I don't of remember the name you associated with it. So, um, so there we pause. go. So, you know, I will, um, yeah, I'll make, uh, I'll make changes Scroll where you need to make changes. The- yeah. messages and see who it was. <laughs> but with that being said, you'll thank you, you know, for the actually uh, the recommendation. Um, and it was a great book. Most of this is taken off the book called The Believer. With, uh, it was written by Ralph Blumenthal, um, and it was called Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. And so I don't know, you know, I heard of John Mack, but I never heard the story. John, you know one small little snippet of John Mack, which we will get into towards the end of this whole thing. Um, Josh, I think you knew a little bit more than that. I... I, I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised at the end of the book. I did research in other forms to kind of put this together. And I, I don't know, man. I'm going to tell you boys a story, and we're going to you know, interject where you want to interject. We'll banter back and forth. But, um, damn, the guy, the guy was something. I got to say, it's kind of impressive. So, you know. Well, yeah. Let's hear it. Let's, uh, let's dive into it. So, everybody, we got a write-up about the life and times of John Mack. It is quite... Uh, 
quite the life and times for sure. And uh, yeah, open the gates. So I'll be honest with you. One thing, there's some big wordies in here, so my mush mouth might fuck them up. Um, if you guys want to uh, chip in, by all means, do. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure and make fun of you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's no, I already know that uh, that thing for now. But basically, this this whole write up, it's not only his life, but it's a little bit about where he came from, his background, and really, you know, we could be here. This could be like a four or five part because the guy really lived quite an ordeal on things, and and what you know, he stumbled on something kind of in his in his middle life, I guess. And, and it led him down this fucking rabbit hole, which is just fucking crazy. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there's some good times. There's some bad times, just like all of our lives. But, uh, I honestly, the guy lent a lot, I think to this whole phenomena. And, uh, you know, you guys can chime in as we go, but if you're ready, um, let's, uh, go ahead and kick this off here. This is a quote. It is true that children live the unlived lives of their parents. And that actually was a quote from John Mack. Uh, and it was uh, also from the author of the book, The Believer, that we talked about before by Ralph Blumenthal. Uh, Ralph believed that he thought that this was perhaps intellectual rigor of John and his upbringing that compelled him later to question conventional rationality, which more likely it was with everything going on. So we'll cover that here as we kind of go into the story. But, you know, a couple things here. A uh, quick note. So most of the research came from that book. It also came from different resources. You know, as I read the book and I, I kind of didn't understand. And you guys help me fill in the blanks because there's some things that literally like I tried to look for. And it, I won't say that it left me hanging or maybe I misinterpreted it. But I was like, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. And we can kind of talk about those as we go through. But um, it's just his it, his life encounters were kind of fucking amazing. But some of them were like mentioned. And then just ended, and there was no, there's no explaining past that. So, you know, we can well, kind of get into that as we go. I hope I can help. I'm not like a John Mack historian, so no. I think more than anything, just kind of making sense of maybe what he was thinking, or you know, mm. what he ran into type thing. Uh, I will say that one thing about Mr. Mack is he was truly a fucking huge onion. Multiple layers to peel back before you even get to the who of what he was, what made him tick. Um, pretty amazing of what actually he did, what he supported, what he found himself driven with. Um, it's crazy. He sunk years into these things. And so without further ado, we're going to roll into it. So um, here's very beginning. He was born October 4th, 1929. A man by the name of John Mack was born, born in good old New York City to the parents of Edward Clarence Mack and Eleanor Liebman Mack, who raised John in a fairly strict German Jewish home. His father was an historian and English professor that taught at the University of New York. Before John was born, Edward Mack met Eleanor Liebman. Eleanor attended the Progressive Ethical Cultural School, which I've never heard of that kind of thing, but maybe in the 20s, I guess they existed. Yeah. Know. Sounds fancy. So, Yeah, maybe a different time. or For sure. Um, and then she went to Vassar College, uh, graduating at the age of 20 in 1926. A year later, John's father met Eleanor for the first time and were married soon after. So we don't want to veer too far away from the actual story of John Mack, but his family history is very interesting. So I kind of wanted to, to kind of dive into that a bit, if you guys are okay with it. Um, Edward's great-grandfather Clarence immigrated from Bavaria in the 1840s, settling in Cincinnati, of all places, which it's popular now because of the Bengals, which I don't know. I don't know who you guys are voting for for the Super Bowl, but we'll see. No offense to Ohioans, but uh, 
No, it's still Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he was a whiskey salesman who traveled back and forth from Europe quite often. On one of those trips, he met a girl he knew from Cincinnati by the name of Della Ob. Della was the daughter of a pioneering ophthalmologist who was the first to remove foreign bodies from the eye and consequently because of that left Della with a roughly, and again, this is back in a way long ago, a $6 million estate, which is crazy money back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I, I mean, can't that's even imagine. nothing now, but it's a lot then. It's more than I'll ever have. Yeah. Just, yeah. just a smidgen, I think, for, for all of us fucking put together, honestly. Um, of course, that meant, that meant that Clarence had a sugar mama. So there she is. You know, they were, brief, they were properly married and had John Mack's father soon after. So as family became more prosperous, they moved to New York, where Edward attended the exclusive Phillips Academy in Massachusetts and then Princeton, graduating cum laude. Course. Everybody's smart back in them days, I guess. Uh, he then worked on Wall Street, but really hated it. And then he landed on being an English teacher. That was his passion, so that's what he did. On the other side of the family, John's mother, Eleanor, was descended from prominent German Jewish brewers, which I'm liking her family nice. already. Yeah. Uh, her great grandfather, Samuel Bear Liebman, owned an inn and brewery in Ludwigsburg in the kingdom of Wurttemberg. Due to the 1848 revolution, her great-granddad moved to America with his family and founded a brewery in Bushwick called Rangold, which would soon dominate the beer market hey. in the 1950s. Does that sound Rangold. familiar? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Yeah, that's like the fucking cheapest beer you can get out there besides like Yingling. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. That may, now it <laughs> is it? Uh, well, the last time I was in New York, God, I don't even hmm. fucking know how long ago that was. Was but. it 1950s, Josh? Because that's when it was popular. <clears throat> Listen, old right man. Up, probably right around then. Yeah, yeah, give or, <laughs> give or take a year or so. Uh, anyway, they had seven children, including Eleanor, and almost every one of them would be in politics or high up on the social ladder for one reason or another. Oh, except for one of Eleanor's brothers who would suffer from mental illness and was lobotomized. Oof. Yeah, so there's that. You know. God, could you imagine getting lobotomized? I, I couldn't even. Jesus Christ, I, I, I could not at all. Uh, it's funny because here's a quote from John Mack about that because, you know, obviously he knew the family a little bit. Um, quote, I was always interested in the source of suffering. Uh, okay, well, there you go. Hmm. So John so far was born into a well-educated family with well-known lineage for sure. It was a great way to start a life until while on a trip to visit Eleanor's family in Alburian, New Jersey, his mother had an acute attack of appendicitis. It was paid attention to, it wasn't even paid attention to for whatever reason. She either ignored it or they didn't catch it. Uh, She was rushed to the hospital for an emergency appendectomy, and she had other infections that just caused all these complicated things going on. And penicillin was, two years later, it was was found, but it wasn't in use yet, yada, yada. Anyway, she passed a week later on June 29th, 1930, uh, and she died before her 25th birthday. So yeah, sheesh. Yeah, kind of shitty. Well, and the reason I, we mentioned this mainly is because uh, this would haunt John for a little bit. I mean, anybody really, because even if the trauma losing mother at eight months, you know, you don't know what's going on, but you do as you get older. And and his dad was kind of distant and was different, and it just didn't. I don't know. He carried the weight. It, it I felt reading the book a lot for the remainder of his life. What he was doing, um, and effectively, yeah, I'm sure. Like, you know, I'm sure even if you don't like have the pain of the remembering your mom passed away you have the memory of the pain of growing up without that like motherly figure absolutely i mean yeah and as you get older then you realize well wait what happened and then you know do you blame people do you i don't know there's a whole nother 
you know, can of worms opened up there. But it did have uh, a lot of things on his life as as he was growing up, and and we'll get into it too because it. Trust me, this is just fucking get your hip waders on in about ten minutes because it gets really good. Um, after his mother died, his father remarried the economist Ruth P. Mack, through which John would get a half-sister, Mary Lee Ingbar, a pioneer of computer analysis who became a professor at Dartmouth College, along with going to the University of Massachusetts Medical School. So growing up, his father would read the Bible to John and his sister, but as a work of culture or literature, not as scripture, which I found kind of funny. It was very defined when they said that. Um, Matt graduated from the Horace Mann Lincoln School in 1947 and Phi Beta Kappa from Oberlin in 1951 and then received his medical doctorate degree cum laude from Harvard Medical School in 1955. And this is actually a quote from John. I was raised as the strictest of materialists. I believe we were kind of alone in this meaningless universe on this sometimes verdant rock with these animals and plants around and we were here to make the best of it. And when we're dead, we're dead. So that was his thought looking back on his life and times in that uh, snapshot in life. But uh, it would soon change, for sure. So during his tenure, uh, John met Sally Ann Stahl. By this time, John had moved up to fairly prominent levels at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center and was even asked to represent Mass Medical at the first national conference on day hospitals in 1958. Later, John traveled to Washington, D.C. to discuss two years in the United States Air Force in the wake of the draft. So... I mean, reading that, I'm assuming he just kind of wanted to get ahead of the game instead of going, hey, you got to go. You know, maybe if he went there, he can kind of pick his own destiny, sort of. Yeah. You know, so that's what I would do if I had the means, for sure. So uh, he asked Sally if she would wait for him, and she said, no fucking way. Not waiting for you. Let's get married now. Let's do it. So they went ahead and they tied the knot. Um, and so they were wed in July 1959. And John headed out to Japan and worked at the Takikawa Air Force Hospital west of Tokyo. Uh, having their first child there in Japan, then two years later coming back to Boston, having their second child. John returned to Harvard, becoming a full, uh, full professor in 72, and in 77 he became the head of the psychiatry, uh, which he kept as his position until his death in 2004, which is pretty impressive because, man, that's a long time to hold, like, one position in one place. Kind of envy the yeah. guy, you know? Uh, I mean, that's how shit used to be, though. My fucking grandpa worked for the phone company for 45 years and then retired, you know? <laughs> 45 can't even you don't even hear that nowadays like they don't even want to see that shit on a resume wait how come you worked at the same company for 10 years did, did nobody want yeah, you why did you stay there for more than two years <laughs> well they you, there used to be a thing called raises yeah right nobody ever it's just weird how times fucking change uh so with all that out of the way um let's brief, briefly cover a timeline of his most mo- notable research that led up to his studies on abduction uh, because honestly, you know, he had more to offer. It wasn't just abduction. He had other things that, that he kind of, if nothing else from what I gathered from this dude is he was driven and whatever yeah. he got into, he <clears throat> was fucking into like, that just was what it was, you know? Yeah. He would have never became the head of psychiatry, uh, had he started off his career in alien abduction research. Yeah, ab- absolutely. In fact, that's the last fucking Actually, thing you probably want to do. surprised that he did stick around that long considering he got into it in like the eighties, I think. Or like oh, yeah, seventies. Yeah. Well, but oh boy, it was yeah. Well, wait, it it was a fucking thing. Trust me. Um, so we deserve at least to give him some of that, and uh, we're going to cover that a little bit. One of his first things that he um, that he put together it was kind of weird, and and I mean, I again, I get the the drive. I suppose just odd. Um, it was a book called A Prince of Our Disorder. So one night, he and Sally went to the movies to watch Lawrence of Arabia, which he was. It was a movie based on the life of T. E. Lawrence. It has such a profound, a profound effect on John that he spent years researching the man's psyche, 
why he did what he did, the decisions he made, everything else. Uh, he even went as far as to actually fly to England to talk to his brother and his family and what he was like and what drove him to do this and drove him to do that. I And I have never personally seen that or know the story behind T.E. Lawrence. I, I don't know if you guys do or not. I, I know um, it. I've seen Lawrence of Arabia a long time ago. It's one yeah. of my dad's favorite movies. <clears throat> um, but, I, you know, I, I was so young when I watched it that I feel like even – Probably a lot of the concepts just went over my head anyway. Um, He was a British dude um, who I want to say during around the time of World War One was in Africa leading um, like Bedouin tribes and stuff against uh, the enemies of the empire. Yeah. Um, And like was fucking shit up. Like, he was brutal as fuck. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that shed some. Well, maybe that's why he's so fascinated with the guy. Just because of that, it sounds like. Yeah, like he's he's one of those uh, historical characters that, depending on which way you're looking at him, he's either like a like a hero or like a fucking really really bad person. Just a just a huge piece of shit. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, but I mean, again, it's it, it also kind of comes back to like a, a man of his times, kind of that kind of thing. You gotcha, know? gotcha. Where okay. like uh, definitely around the time Lawrence of Arabia was made, I don't think anybody thought too poorly of him from any regard but then as you know times and opinions change and you look back on some of the stuff that he did you're kind of like well maybe that wasn't all super great and you know what times are going to look by uh in this era right now and probably say the exact same fucking thing so you know i get it completely um in regards to that book so in april of 1977 uh, columbia university awarded his book prince of our disorder the pulitzer prize for biography selecting it above 93 other submissions uh this is a quote from one of the one of the guys that actually voted for it i guess uh, quote, this book has such distinctive merits as to stand in a class by itself with no serious competitors, which is eh, pretty cool to say. Um, during the word ceremony, his wife, Sally, looked over to see John's head in his hands. She said, what's wrong with you, man? You just won the fucking Pulitzer Prize. You know, get, get your head up, figure this shit out. And he's like, no, because he says, you know, now they're going to expect more of me. And that's <laughs> all he said. That was into that. I can't say I, I can identify him. with that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, like, no, that was really hard. I can't keep doing this. Right, exactly. Great fucking. Well, I you never set the bar that high. <laughs> yeah, you fucked up once there. Uh, there's another one that he did too. Uh, really popular card: Nightmares and Human Conflict. Uh, at a certain time in John's life, he focused on adolescent issues and disorders in, when he first kind of got into it. Uh, using his own two sons, Danny and Ken, as test subjects, he wrote how nightmares were not a form of extending sleep, as Freud said, but a way for the brain to resolve conflicts. He also researched other cultures and their beliefs, such as the North Borneo tribe, where they believe a monster comes at night to steal away pregnancies. I mean, who doesn't believe that, right? You know, it's a thing. Uh, he also confirmed that nightmares occurred at a certain cycle of sleep always, which disproved earlier studies from other notable scientists. So he's already pissing people off in a way because he's putting these things together, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But overall, Mac published over 150 scientific articles and 11 books in his career. As department head at Harvard Medical School, he worked primarily in the field of child and adolescent psychology. He worked on treating suicidal patients and published research on heroin addiction. The dominant theme of his life's work at Harvard had been the exploration of how one's perceptions of the world affect one's relationships. And honestly, even as he veers off of that into what we're going to talk about, I, I think that sentence right there where it says one's own perceptions of the world affect one's relationships still holds true. It doesn't matter whether you study in this or you study in, you know, what we're going to get into. I think it's, it's still solid in my opinion. So, you know. 
Um, another cool thing about this dude, I, like shit, he was in everything. In the 1980s, Mack interviewed many international political figures as part of his research into the root causes of the Cold War, including former United States President Jimmy Carter and the father of the hydrogen bomb, Edward Teller. John, together with astrophysicist Carl Sagan and uh, other physicians of responsibility, and this was the group's name officially, evidently, the United States Affiliate of International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. Say that three times real fast. See what happens. Um, Promoted the elimination of nuclear weapons and an end to the simmering conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union. Emboldened by the organization's receipt of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1985, John, along with his whole family, whole family, mind you, his wife, his kids, uh, Sagan, and seven un, 700 other academics, walked on the grounds of the Nevada test site in the summer of 1986, setting a civil disobedience record for that nuclear weapons testing facility, which is, you're going to set records. There you go, right? Uh, the sheriff stopped them at the boundary line and threatened that if they stepped over it, they would be arrested. John and his entire family, along with 140 of the 700 other academics, uh, stepped over the line. And, of course, they got hauled to fucking jail. So, there you go. (laughs) Don't push the sheriff. That's what happens. Um, Again, these are just a few snippets of what John, you know, what led him, really, down the world of UFOs and UFO abduction. You know, I I personally don't believe that this theory of abduction was something that he would have come across on his own. Maybe, you know, but reading the book and looking at the research, I I think... uh, I, I think this is something that once a seed was planted, it was planned in a very specific way, which we'll get into, and then we can we can go there. Um, as luck may have it, with this being said, certain notable people in the field that cross his path, that's what did it. You know, like I said, there's a seed planted. Uh, I don't know if he would have done it on his own. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Nobody can tell tell time, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, life is weird, you know? You'd, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you never know. You couldn't tell me I'd be sitting in a basement in Washington doing a podcast on John Mack 10 years ago. But here we are. So, here uh, we are. Here we are. <laughs> so there's a turning point, we think, in John Mack's work. And exactly what led him down that rabbit hole of UFOs, like I was saying earlier, uh, and how they intertwine themselves into our world and what the experiences he had at Esalon, which is pretty crazy. This is when it starts getting deep. In 1910, California physicist Henry Murphy, who, as it happened, had delivered the future author John Steinbeck in Salinas a few years before, he bought 375 acres between the coast and the Santa Lucia Mountains for a European-style spa. He got as far as some bathhouses before he died. The property fell into abandonment for half a century until Henry's grandson, Michael, showed up to reclaim the springs with a companion, Richard Price, and allies like Henry Miller, Hunter Thompson, and Joanne Baez in what became known as, quote, Night of the Dobermans. I, did any of those names ring a bell to you guys? There's one in particular that I'm very surprised he's part of. Well, Hunter Thompson and Joan Baez. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, those two. Um, I don't know this other guy, Henry Miller. Name rings a bell, but I, I don't bother looking him up. I'm not too sure. So uh, this place evolved into quite a compound. Free love, orgies, trans-enlightenment, and even the occasional fistfight, which, you know, as, yeah. as one would do. The pre-Gonzo Thompson had been hired to guard the property, and Baez lived in one of the cabins where she would perform small concerts. Soon their encampment was called Esalon. A lot of history and involvement happened at Esalon, and we would recommend looking it up because I did kind of a side dive on it. And there's some shit, uh, and it's something kind of cool. And actually, oh. I took the uh, the definition off their website, which is active, by the way. Uh, this is what they say about their little area still. Esalon is a not-for-profit, holistic, edgenal, uh, educational center offering wild comfort and space for emergent transformation and internal exploration since 1962. 
Anchored by the inspiring beauty of Big Sur and an uncomparable intellectual history, we are always negotiating nuance, tangling with complexity, and sitting inside contradiction. All the while, we embrace the messy, imperfect practice of moving toward our highest humanity. Enter where you are. I wish I wanted to ask it right now because that's really cool. So, <laughs> um, Henry Miller was an author who wrote The Tropic of Cancer and uh, other books that, if I remember right, are very, very sexy. Oh, um, okay. So, it makes sense that he was like, yeah, let's Here's go part be of hippies. Yeah, why not? That's really cool. Um, Known well, for breaking with existing literary forms and developing a new type of semi-autobiographical novel. Hmm. Nice. <clears throat> Yeah, See, and I knew that like the Bohemian Grove before the rich and the elite got a hold of it and ruined the whole fucking thing. That's kind of how that started. It was like this this little hippy dippy community of writers and artists, and and they just all got together. And then, of course, it morphed into what it is nowadays. Um, I wasn't familiar with this whole S line. It's kind of I don't know, kind of neat. Yeah, me neither. Um, some some <laughs> to dig down for sure. The publication of Miller's Tropic of Cancer in the United States in 1961 by Grove Press led to a series of obscenity trials that tested American laws on pornography. The United States Supreme Court in Grove Press, Inc. versus Gerstein, citing Jacob Bellis versus Ohio. Uh, I think this is the trial where they famously were like, uh, I, I can't explain what pornography is, but I, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> That's fucking funny. That's funny. Um, we're going to fast forward, though, past this a little bit. We're going to go to a man by the name of Stanislav Grof. And I'm just going to call him Grof because I'm not going to say Stanislav the whole time. Uh, Grof had studied in Prague and in 1950s conducted research on the antipsychotic tranquilizer Milarare, which I've never heard of. Uh, he moved from there in a study in D-lysergic acid diethylamide derived from the ergot fungus. Did you just say LSD? I think I did. Something close to it, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you um, just said LSD. Is, is that the official term of it? Yeah. Lysergic acid diethylamide. There you go. You said it, LSD. Um, yeah, let's get weird. Yeah, well, here it goes. Evidently, a trace of this substance soaked in the finger of a scientist by the name of Albert Hoffman years before, and it sent his mind to explode into a, a, a cataclysmic color, just basically some crazy shit. He went fucking crazy. So Groff began working with that substance with volunteers, which led him into the further research of man-altering substances, and because of this, received an invitation from John Hopkins University, as one would for studying LSD. Man, I bet it was cool to be alive back in those days. Uh, he continued to study, and this led to a meeting with another gentleman by the name of Michael Murphy, who invited Groff to Esalon. There, Groff dabbled in yoga with LSD and other drugs, and slowly that morphed into a practice called Holotropic breath work. Uh, this was an exercise that took, took no drugs. He used it with LSD at first, evidently, and then he backed off the LSD and realized that there's more to just the actual breath work that he invented, pretty much. Um, he got it to the point where it took no drugs, uh, but due to the breathing exercises, the sound that would come around your head, the exercises that was involved in, all that was said to lead into like a, a euphoria. You just... Lost your mind. Uh, past lives so he revealed. got real good at meditating. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like. But if you can do it without LSD, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. then it can it. be over when you want it to be over, and it's not 12 hours later just going, As you're rocking fuck, back I just forth. want it to be over. <laughs> yeah. I thought they said if I drank orange juice, it would go away. Oh, no, that's no, a, I'm the glass of orange juice. That's supposed to intensify it. Is God it really? It. That explains a lot. 
<laughs> I still remember that urban story about the guy that took too much acid because he taped it on his chest trying to sneak through the airport. And to this day, he thinks he's a glass of orange juice. And whenever somebody walks around me, he's like, don't spill me. Like, I don't yeah, know. I feel like that's a tall tale, though, because I it remember <laughs> in in uh, my neighborhood, I remember there was like, yeah, there's this kid that lives in our neighborhood and he took too much acid. And if he thinks he's a glass of orange, like exactly what you just <laughs> said. Yeah, that's thing. like the yeah. old uh, so-and-so had to go to the fucking ER and get their stomach pumped because it was full of too much jizz urban legend. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> or was it? I don't know. Anyway. Or was that my Friday night last week? <laughs> well, Touche, sir. Uh, anyway, well, you know, back to it. So yeah, exactly. Cool. No drugs and you still got to take a trip. Kind of neat, right? Um, everything, past lives, memories revert back to early adolescence, uh, all kinds of just stuck in your brain type stuff. Uh, and even though people such as Timothy Leary, which we all know, he would frequent Esalon, go figure, and stick to his age-old method of LSD to unzip the mind and hoping one can zip it back up again afterwards. You know, that was his thing. Um, other priority items on Esalon's list were world peace. So this is where John Mack steps in. He was invited to Esalon to talk about the imagery of nuclear war and its effects on children and adults, which that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, an image of nuclear war, fuck that, it scares the shit out of me. End of discussion. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how As you tell should. speech. Yeah, yeah, right? I, I don't know how there's more to it than that, but fuck, you know, whatever. Um, Groff approached John to be part of his holotropic breathwork. And John reluctantly agreed. Uh, John's thought was, how is this going to help? What old memories that I wanted to just let go and leave alone are going to possibly creep back up into my psyche? There were 11 breathers, two of them being Soviet psychiatrists, which is funny, and the same number of partnered sitters behind them. So for the first half hour, nothing. Like, he had just nothing. It's a waste of his time. This is what he's hanging out and doing. Uh, he was waiting for all this to end when all of a sudden he was overwhelmed by a blanket of despair. He was born back 58 years prior, now a nine-month-old again, reliving his mother's anguished death. He was alone. He was abandoned. He felt his father's grief and struggle, and then his father distanced himself from him. Um, cool distancing is what he called it, uh, from a son, the little boy that never understood why, and, and he would never forgive him for it. Um, then he was in medieval Russia, and he had a four-year-old son with him. And he saw a Mongol in front of him, and this Mongol on horseback was decapitating his child. And John was just, instead of, I guess, being freaked out, he was intrigued. He's never seen this before, not in the years of professional anal uh, analysis, as he come close to accessing these memories. Like, it was just crazy for him. And he was hooked. After that, it was all done. You know, he asked Groff if he could do more of these exercises. And, of course, Groff has said, yeah, sure, why not? You can do as much as you want till the cows come home. You know, we got it. So... He had visions of all different kinds, uh, but it wasn't. It was one of his last. It would really would stick with them. So he recorded a bizarre vision that seemed to foreshadow his later encounters with an alien world. Although he would not meet a gentleman that would introduce him to this world yet, by the name of Bud Hopkins, uh, for three years, which we will get. Josh alluded to that earlier. Good job, Josh. Um, Bud Hopkins plays a, a very intricate role into John Mack's life, and we'll kind of get on that later on. But this was a quote from John Mack on, um, on this trip, I guess, if you would say. And then I got the stuff about incubators. This picture of all these abandoned fetuses, uh, infants separated from their mothers, and these technology places, which is the work my wife does. It reminded me of an invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, maybe they're punishing us for not loving enough. They take over our bodies, our resources. They take over the plants. They take over everything for them. And... And you have all these breathing creatures, these plant creatures breathing and breathing in this cold, dead, suffocating way until all the resources are used up and the planet has been completely taken over. It's like for not loving ourselves enough, 
not giving each other warmth, unquote. Hmm. And he also had a quote that kind of go down. This is one of those that uh, is going to stick with him for a while, and I think this is um, this is where it all happened, folks, really, to be honest with you. Quote, they put a hole in my psyche, and that's when the UFOs flew in, unquote. <laughs> so there you go. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to get into the root of John Mack, or actually what he became, and uh, yeah, and it's pretty amazing. So stand by, everyone. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back. Again, we're unweaving the story here with uh, John Mack. And, and this is where, boys, it gets um, it gets cool. Like I said, one described some of his background, his family, yada, yada. Now we're getting into what we all love John Mack for, I guess, is, is what it is. So um, this other story of John Mack shifts a bit. It really does. This whole story is crazy from here. So he continued to partake in Groff's uh, breathwork modules and saw more and more discoveries, quote, if you will, that fascinated him. Groff gave John a chapter from his forthcoming book that a guy by the name of Keith Thompson wrote, who was a California writer and therapist adept in, and I, again, these people evidently, I feel like they just give themselves these own titles, but maybe not. Uh, he was adept in philosophy, quantum physics, non-ordinary states of consciousness, shamanism, mysticism, and last but not least, parapsychology. So this was this Keith Thompson guy. Uh, he had two past encounters with UFOs, and in the chapter he wrote for Groff's book, he called this, quote, the UFO encounter experience as a crisis of transformation. In it, Thompson examined the phenomenon as a rite of initiation. He wasn't concerned with what was objectively true that might never be knowable, he wrote. He wanted to see what people reported about their experience, unencumbered by questions of what could and could not be real. At the time, John had no clue why Groff shared this, but it would start to paint a picture when another individual by the name of Bob Hopkins would enter into his microcosm in January of 1990. Bud Hopkins. Bud Hopkins, yeah, sorry. Um, Bud Hopkins. So... Real quick on this guy. So basically, he had a long history with UFOs. Um, it started way back when he was a kid. Uh, the Orson Welles thing, the World of the Worlds. Literally, his parents were packing the fucking car, and he's hiding underneath <laughs> his bed. Like, it, shit was, was blowing up at that point. Um, throughout his life, he would go have these encounters with UFOs, starting in 1964 and many after that. We're not going to go down in detail about Hopkins, but if you want to check out a story in his tribulations, all his work, uh, pick up the book. He had Missing Time, and he had a book called Intruders. And I think he had a couple more, too, but those are the, the more popular ones. Missing Time, I think, was his first one where he wrote about um, abductees, and literally they just they forget there's nothing from point A to point B. A lot of what, like, Travis Walton went through, you know, three days mm-hmm. later he just wakes up and there it is, right? And so that's, I will um, say that in The Trickster and the Paranormal, George P. Hansen has a section on hoaxes, mm-hmm. and it's very, very heavy with a particular Bud Hopkins case. Oh. Um where he's not necessarily saying Bud Hopkins was a hoaxer, but more like getting taken in by hoaxers. Mm. Um, 
And I mean, there, I, yeah, there's a lot of controversy over there. Yeah, always is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. Um, because a he wasn't a psychologist, but he was hypnotizing people. Whoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And b some of the cases that he were was like, no, this is proof. We're like just some shit out of like a John Keel story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like fucking nuts. Um, and he did like almost end up getting John Mack fired from uh from harvard because he uh believed a lot of the same stuff like he he got in with bud hopkins and he believed a lot of it and was like yeah man this is you're right you're right and started like not listening to the peer review board that they had set up to to oversee their um activities well, as far as like regression we're, we're, hypnotic regression we're gonna get into shit. that that's actually that's a big thing so that's that's a big caveat and, and yeah and i think that you're right i think he was listening to bud a little bit more I, he was gullible too, or, or maybe John was gullible in his own way. But yeah, that did give him some hot water, and we're going to get into it because that's the bulk of like all of his grief when he actually came out and he decided to do this, and it, it's coming. So yeah, that, that's another fucking story altogether for sure. Um, you know, but beside this whole thing, you know, Hopkins he gave John these letters, and he wanted to read through sightings, missing time, all this shit. Um, but at the time, John was going through some personal shit. On his own, like we all do, but holy God, this guy. So, and granted, some of this was his fault again, but, you know, he's going through a possible divorce um, because of an affair. He's seen this gal called Roz. Uh, it was causing emotional issues. Like, go figure. Um, and plus, he was still involved in all this political turmoil, all that's still going on. He's traveling all over, speaking to these conferences. Like, he's just got a lot, right? One thing John did do was he kept a journal. And I envy people who can do this. I, I don't. I never had the patience, really. But uh, he kept a journal. He'd write everything in that thing. And and this is uh, this is some of the stuff that was in his journal that he just talked about all the strife that was going on around him. He said, "My soul is like a wide open sewer into which and out of all sorts of crap flows. If I can't find fulfillment with Sally, what are my options?" And he literally lists them. Uh, first one's death. Uh, two is divorce. Three is do the best I can and give up much of who I am. Uh, negotiate withhold some truth <laughs> that was actually written out and then the last one was a uh, lie and cheat i mean he he was like reading out his these are my options very very take? like i don't is pragmatic the right word <laughs> yeah i guess yeah because i mean shit, like you know? all right well these are all the options <laughs> yep yep pick one right so when he finally got to the letters uh that hopkins wrote it made him crazy he thought you know were these abductees telling the truth uh, had something indeed real happened to them he jotted down some speculations what if the horror sci-fi fantasy stuff is not Freud projection, but the effort to come to terms with the nightmare trauma of our visitations from the other universe, um, to come to terms with the nightmare trauma of our visitations from the other universe, which, because we can't accept its reality, must come to us as buried horrors. Now, we should note to completely be transparent in all this, all this, and we talked about this before. Not only was John doing this whole breathwork modules, things like that, he was also dabbling into LSD, um, he was doing these other things and, and it actually continued for quite a few years. And you know, that's another story altogether. It doesn't really, I don't know. I don't know what you guys say. D- does it take away from John, the man a little bit, maybe, you know, but I think he was looking for, he was looking for things. And if this was another method and mode that he was looking for things, you know, so be it. I mean, I guess that's okay. It doesn't take away that he still was very analytical. He still was just curious about this he had all of his drive ambition into this i don't know what your mm. thoughts are on that but that's you know kind of a mixed bag there you know well i mean nobody's perfect mm. and you know that like even if you do, like you know 
people humans are complicated creatures so even if you do all this great stuff and you do some shitty stuff it's like does that you know discredit all the good stuff that you've done just because you did you know right does it cancel that out it really does also like no relationship is perfect either you know i mean like people get divorced or fuck around on their wives all the fucking time yeah i mean that's just like so common it's just like yeah i don't think cheating makes you a shitty person it's a shitty thing you know it's yeah and then it's not right but like it doesn't necessarily make you a shitty person because people cheat Mm. for so many different reasons agreed yeah maybe sally wouldn't let him go up the butt yeah oh that's a great way to yeah or maybe maybe the oral game just wasn't you know it wasn't all together yeah (laughs) yeah maybe she still had all her teeth who knows give me a blowy (laughs) why talk about abductian experiencers like that's his (laughs) that's his dream for whatever reason well and the thing is too he was kind of distant to his kids but honestly so was his dad so I mean, yeah, I mean, you well, know, it's honestly, turn into your parents, right? Yeah, kids kind of fucking suck. Yeah, tell me about it. Sorry, Logan, love you, kid. Anyway, <laughs> sheesh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the vibes may have been yeah. off with his kids. It might not have been his fault. No, seriously, man, love you. Anyway, um, so meanwhile, John would confide a bit to his Harvard buddies about all this. You know, where a lot of them would just <laughs> simply say, "Hey, you know, have you talked to anybody about this? Because maybe you shouldn't. Because this is fucking crazy. Not a good thing to kind of put out there because they're going to think you're crazy." Uh, meanwhile, five or so weeks later, he was actively conversing back and forth with Bud Hopkins and was invited to a group of four abductees that Hopkins knew and had been researching. This goes back to what jo- Josh was saying, I think, you know, doing hypnotizing and he wasn't fucking qualified to do. Yeah. I'm not a real gynecologist, but I play one of my tool shed. One of That's kind of exactly things. what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was like, I'm not licensed or trained in all of this, but I'm let's talk anyway. about your um, masked or re re repressed memories and i promise i won't like suggest anything to you in this very highly (laughs) suggestible state yeah exactly promise exactly fingers crossed um one was an operetta composer who dreamed of head implants used for tracking in treatment she remembered undergoing abortions uh, but couldn't say how many Another was an experiencer who wrote Hopkins about childhood memories of shrouded figures in her bedroom and the discovery of a mysterious scar in her nose. Obviously, this blew John's fucking mind. Like, now he's into it. Um, Now he started swirling down the rabbit hole, writing people such as an individual by the name of Jerome Clark. Jerome Clark was editor of the International UFO Reporter and was a board member for the Center of UFO Studies. Hopkins told Jerome to send John back issues to study and read. John wrote Jerome and said, quote, in the letter, If from your vantage point you can inform me about the status of serious psychiatric or psychological research or other work on this matter, um, John added he was not suggesting that these often traumatized people were suffering a mental disorder. He really didn't know. I am not invested in debunking or proving anything, since this interest is a new one for me, and I would not wish to be prematurely discredited. I would appreciate it if you could keep this letter confidential or use extreme discretion in deciding with whom to share its contents. However, that wouldn't be that really wouldn't last for long. He soon got to work on researching and reaching out to possible experiencers, and before long, he had quite a few that he had recorded sessions. Um, and there are quite a lot, but I I pulled one or two that kind of stood out to me, I guess. <clears throat> and you'll find out later on the story. Pay attention to the names because the names do come back, and and this is where this is where I think John just you know whether whether Bud was making him gullible or John already had some gullibility, I don't know. Yeah, but this is a good example of one of them. Uh, Amy Eglin, a sweet-faced environmental protection worker from Michigan, shared her strange encounters since childhood, retrieved under hypnotic regressions. 
At age 14, she and her best friend had been agog. Oh, and I looked that word up, by the way. It, it exists. It means I'm curious, evidently. I've fucking never heard of it. Hmm. Um, and what they remembered as flashing red, blue, and green lights of a landed craft in the girl's backyard. Dozens of nearby witnesses later reported similar sightings, which the police attributed to an advertising plane. Uh, Amy, this is a quote, and we said that can't be right because advertising planes don't land noiselessly in your backyard, Amy recalled. Another time in a sleepover at a girlfriend's house, her parents found them missing in the middle of the night and called the police. As each turned up, no trace of them, but they soon reappeared inexplicably safe and sound on their beds. Years later, she experienced terrifying flashbacks. Quote, one night I'm all scrunched up in my bed and I see a face. These eyes come out of the darkness. He comes forward. It's a little guy. I think a hominid, probably about three and a half inches tall. He has a pretty square jaw, I think. Very flat, small nose. Very furrowed brow. No hair. He's dark blue. He's green in color. Sort of steely. Not very bright. Sort of dusty. Like, she's really fucking descriptive here, so bear with it. And he's not saying anything to me. Um, She had memories of being packed out of the bed and placed on a cotton-lined table where she felt a vibrating cone-shaped device if your kids are listening, block them now, into her vagina and push her apart, a needle painfully entering her ribcage and her head being implanted with some object by a crystalline energy force. She also remembered being maneuvered into an arousing sexual encounter with another abductee she knew, while to her mortification, their captors watched the whole thing. Later, she had the sensation she was pregnant and she thought, God, I got to go see a gynecologist. But she went to bed and before she was even asleep, these three beings in the room are with me. Uh, I go, oh, shit. And we go through the apartment ceiling. The next thing she knew, she said, she was on a table with a nursemaid and someone we call the doctor. He's very paternal, very in charge of everything. Her pregnancy is removed, and he's got this glass jar, she says. it's It's got something in it. And that's just one abduction story. There was a bunch in there, and I'll cover in the book like how many there are. But um, this is a quote from John Mack in regards to these experiences. And I, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. He says, quote, first, uh, Copernicus displaced the earth from the center of the universe. Then Darwin dislodged a man as a centerpiece of creation. Next, Freud destroyed the notion of humans as rational beings. They were ruled by their dark primal drives. Now came the transpersonal revolution. We ourselves are not our own selves. Other species can breed with us, do what they want, unquote. So at this point, he's hooked, it sounds. Like, you know, this is, this yeah. is he's got it. But right? I mean... Can they? Uh, not as, as, as far as science goes. No, well, not yet. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, this was also the era when um, the Greys were at their fucking horniest. Um, as far <laughs> oh, was as that like, this era? <laughs> as far as like abducting and stuff goes, but um, I mean. If if we were similar enough, like if you look at them as uh, future humans, I know that's like a pretty popular hypothesis these yeah. days, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, then yeah, we could fucking totally breed. Yeah. Um, but or even if we were closely enough related, you could maybe get a viable pregnancy, but it would be sterile, kind of like a mule, you know? Right. Um, but for the right. most part, assuming they're. <sighs> people from outer space yeah probably not right and okay and so with that being said i am with you guys i i'm not gonna say absolutely fucking not because there's something out there we know we i know I'm not speaking for you guys there's something out there there's got to be i has got to be now a, a lot of this stuff matches a lot of these experiencers from across the the world 
have the same thing. It's been that way for centuries. They describe the same. That to me is just, it's impossible to have that kind of a vision when there's not something behind it. But I digress. I mean, that's a whole nother thing, right? You know, we're talking about yeah. this abduction and that's kind of where we're at. Um, so, you know, with all this being said, you know, John kicked around the idea of publishing, you know, all these findings. The idea began with plans for an article in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Uh, he compiled a 103-page draft uh, from all of his research, and he started talking to his peers. And it was honestly kind of a mixed bag. You know, some of them thought he kind of lost his shit and said, nope, shut the fuck up. It's going to ruin your reputation. Uh, some that knew him well said, you know what? No, you're passionate. I get it, and we believe you. Um, they understood that it was truly scientific and promoted him to move forward with the findings and peer reviews and publish them. Even after all his studies and research, he still wondered where this all come from. If it wasn't mental illness... Was it still somehow psychiatric? Uh, but that wouldn't explain the consistency of the narratives and the similarity and the physical aspects, John said. Was it mass hysteria or collective madness? Uh, but abductees were rarely in touch with each other, so before they were even brought together in support groups. So that kind of rules that out. While he truly believed that they were hurting and they themselves truly felt it happened, it didn't change the fact that it just something that was accepted as a factual thing that has occurred throughout our history over and over so John decided to take the plunge and do a seminar on his findings in 1991. When one seminar was canceled, he decided to fill the vacancy in front of his peers at Harvard. When he was done, it obviously was a mishmash of questions. Some asked in support and belief that this is a thing, and some being very fucked snide, be honest with you, obviously attempting to debunk everything John had to say. Needless to say, there were a lot of naysayers. Big names in the business at the time. One, uh, one is a David A. Gottlieb, a physician, psychotherapist that also worked with abductees that found no correlation across the board. And Richard F. Haynes, a NASA scientist, has said John gave way too much info on the beans on the events inside the craft. The sexual counts, he said, were far too weak to support the conclusion that John drew. And those were just a few. So here's what rung bell. And this is, I took this right out of the book word for word. Um, a NASA scientist that said John gave way too much info on the beans and on the events inside the craft. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that struck me odd when I read that, but maybe that's just me. He um, gave way too much info or had way too much yeah, info. Yeah, he gave way too much info. Like, But you could read it So, like, it's not ways. believable the... F- fact that he has all of this info or it's wait he has all this info how'd he get it i I, again i look at it different ways i guess when you you know when you hear it but yeah um i mean someone having a very detailed uh description of something and it not really changing usually doesn't mean liar but okay right yeah i mean yeah he's obviously worked with a ton of abductees as well so like he's getting these descriptions from his Patients. From his patients, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. So, yeah. like, why yeah. wouldn't he have a detailed layout of a spaceship or you know, I aliens? Know, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I. I don't know. Anyway, just something struck a bell. Yeah. yeah. Um, April of ninety two. John, along with his lifetime assistant Pam Casey and eight other colleagues, got invited to meet His Holiness the Fourteenth Dalai Lama. A Canadian documentarian by the name of David Chernak was invited to film a rare possession ceremony of the Nichung, the state oracle of Tibet, a spirit that had inhabited a succession of 14 mediums who had served as advisors to the Dalai Lamas over four centuries. That alone is just like fucking wow, crazy. Um, the film wasn't slated to be released until 2010, but the Dalai Lama asked for him to invite a small group of medical and scientific Americans to sit down and discuss UFOs and alien abductions. Why, I'm not sure, so don't ask. I mean, it just it was one of those things that stuck out me in the book, and I was like, oh, shit, that's interesting. He met the Dalai Lama. But I'm sure there's more about how this all came about and how John and this team, 
you know, ended up in front of His Holiness. I mean, just kind of a crazy, crazy thing. Um, as John and team sat down in the Dalai Lama's modest surroundings with only prayer flags hanging, John asked this of him. Quote, I was wondering if you would be willing to say what there was about the subject that you found interesting or important enough now that you were willing to meet with us for these days. One says this kind of thing just nonsense, the Dalai Lama said. Don't pay any attention. Just a few individuals you see feel or experience this due to something wrong with their mind or their brain. And others say there's something really, how do you say, not only fact, but something really, something really valuable. Evidently, because of the Buddha beliefs, it, is an, it intrigued the Dalai Lama to speak about it and even let John play recorded tapes of some of his experiencers. The Dalai Lama did say that he had heard of Tibetans taken by little elves and really had no exclamations uh, to it. So it drove his curiosity, which um, I just find a badass that he meant Dalai Lama. Again, kind of cool. So it's like a three-day thing that they were up there that he was invited to. So, you know, mm. yet again, something else this guy's part of, just kind of badass. Um, John had more personal issues that he pretty much caused on his own. Again, we talked about this, you know, and now his relationship with his wife was pretty much done. He was separated from her. And the one woman he was having an affair with got sick of his shit. And she took off. So we got another new love by the name of Dominique, uh, who was 30 years his senior. So, yeah, I mean, oh. that's cool. If you're going to, yeah, yeah, if you're going to learn someone, yeah. Way to book that stereotype of the midlife crisis. <laughs> that's right. Oh, and 30 says, years his senior? Yeah, she was 30 years younger than to his senior, yeah. Oh, 30 Wait, years yeah, younger yeah. than, yeah. No, you said it like he was. Dating. Yeah, you said it like oh, he no, was. no, no, no. No, the opposite he was of the whole thing. Cougar hunting, and I was like, yeah. "Good for him!" <laughs> oh, no. Like he's dating opposite. an eighty-year-old. No shit, opposite. Oh, it says here too. He bought a Trans Am and a leather jacket. Not making that shit up. He didn't. Did he anything. also get a gold uh, dangly so earring? He's dating somebody. Okay, I see it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Younger, Desi, younger than him. So, um, <clears throat> needless to say, you know, he's still dabbling in the LSD. You know, he's got other things to help him gain focus. And then he got into astrology, uh, probably a little too much. So he had a guy he would go see to read his signs. And honestly, by the way, it sounds probably a little too often, um, which I think he put a lot of stake into what the astrology said and the whole star thing said. So this kind of led him a little bit on these other things he was doing. Like he just, I I don't know, you know, like I said, you you get too many things involved. You get too deep into something and eventually you kind of lose your way a bit. Um, despite everything going on and the travels that he had, uh, him and Dominique would take around the world, whether it was to chase UFO sightings or partake in hypnosis or some tribal ritual, which John just wanted to experience as much as he could, word was getting out of his work and his travels. So much so that even Chris Carter, now does that name ring a bell for anybody? John Not the X-Files Chris Carter. It's the X-Files Chris Carter, yeah. Yeah, so where he got uh, the creator of X-Files. Um, so when his book did come out, needless to say, uh, there's some stuff that they a lot of people say were lifted from John's book into the X-Files thing, which, oh, nice. you know, it's there's that there too, right? You can't prove it. Well, I mean, like that's Mulder's entire story arc, basically. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, 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 I'm going to say, yeah, I can, I can see that a thing for sure. Um, about his book, by the way, it wasn't quite out yet, but it was going to be called Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. It will contain case studies of eight men and five women experiencers selected from 76 that John had studied. To add everything going on, he also founded a group called PEER, Program for Extraordinary Experience Research. This later would be changed to the John E. Mack Institute, which he used to joke, wait a minute, don't institutes get their names after the person dies? And that worries me a little bit. So, yeah, there's that. (laughs) 
Um, John continued. Soon enough, John. Soon yeah, enough. Yeah, soon enough, exactly. So John continued to delve more into other forms of experiences. Uh, hypnotism was one of them. They traveled to Brazil and met with a woman by the name of Gilda Moura, who was a Brazilian psychologist, astrologer, and author of a popular new book on alien contacts. Her mother was one of the top leading UFO investigators in Brazil who translated the Villa Boas case, which you guys familiar with that? I think we, we might have talked about that. Uh, it was basically it was a case about a Brazilian farmer who was abducted in 1957. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I've, yeah, yeah. I think we did a whole. I remember hearing about. It. I can't remember the details right off the top of my head, but yeah, yeah I know. I've, I know. I've heard about. This yeah, well, so evidently her mother translated it, uh, and it was really one of the first known cases of abductees that people really paid attention to. So it was kind of a thing. Um, while in her hypnosis, John saw a room with a nursery table, the TV turning itself on and off. He walked down a hallway to a black-haired receptionist, but everything was blocked from there. Then he was in blue space, floating with bright light coming at him. Visuals of people floating naked in space, egg-shaped porcelain objects, Wizard of Oz characters, all kinds of crazy shit. But it all pointed to him being cold and alone. Then, all of a sudden, John said he understood. He finally got it. He understood the reason he was interested in abductions. Quote, the abduction story is a welcoming story because it means we're not alone. There is life in the universe. There is something tying all of us together. So, you know, good. You got something to believe in now, I suppose. Um, yeah. And again, we'll be transparent. You know, he had similar visions on LSD. He tried ketamine. Uh, he was in all kinds of stuff here and there, just experimenting to kind yeah. of reach a higher self. All the, you know, what, what, again, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, he was being have a you, teenager. Have yeah. you guys ever been yeah. hypnotized? <clears throat> <laughs> I, I'll take that as a uh, no. I have not, but I did have a past life regression, uh, regression session that I remember to this day, and and it I can tell you word for word what happened, what I saw. It was kind of mind blowing, but I've never been hypnotized. No, yeah, I never have either. Uh, Do you know one? Skeptical of it. Huh? <laughs> Do you know one? Do I know a hypnotist? Yeah. Uh, no. Oh. Damn. No, I don't. Okay. And if I did, I don't know if I'd trust them to do it. <laughs> That's the tough part right there. It's like, okay, you're, even if it is something basic and real to it, uh, you're poking around in my brain. I don't know how much I trust that, you know? So, yeah. But I do want to do those, um, what do you call them? The, uh, ah, shit. The big capsules with the, with a saline solution, the water where you float. There's a word for it. Some high. Oh, the iso- hyperbolic chamber, yeah. the isolation chamber. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I do want to do that. I mean, that I think would be very interesting. I heard those. Yeah, like it's completely, completely silent. Yeah, yeah. Like no, I heard those yeah. are really cool. Yeah, I heard they're neat. I I actually almost pulled the pulled the cord in Salt Lake City. The wife actually looked one up, and we almost went. But yeah, I, I pulled. I out. think that would freak me out too much being in the dark in the water. Even if it's in a little tiny tank, I'd be like, what's in here? That's my, that's my problem. Yeah. I don't think I could survive, but anyway. Um, as his rumor book gained traction, so did his popularity. He was invited to be on the Oprah show, which at the time was not huge, but still pretty fucking popular. The problem with this is it also put Harvard and his colleagues into the spotlight, and this is not a good thing. With the Oprah segment coming out soon, along with a book, he decided to send an advanced copy to the president of Harvard, uh, Neil Rudenstein. Quote, I know that this book has been generating a good deal of Harvard attention to the media, some of which is quite distorting of what I've done. I hope you'll have a chance to read it, and we might talk about what this means. 
Mr. Runestein replied, it certainly looks like an interesting book, and I look forward with great interest to reading it very soon. In other words, fuck off, I don't have time for you. But maybe not. That's just what it sounds like. I could be yeah, wrong, it's though. definitely what you it know? sounds like. Yeah. Um, and then shit hit the fan. This uh, person called Donna Lee Rice Bassett blew up in his face. So a reporter for the Times Magazine called Wilworth, was his name, uh, got a hold of Mrs. Bassett where she stated she was an undercover debunker who had ran a sting on John. A bunch of shit to this whole scenario, and there's a lot, like it's like two chapters worth, but basically I took the highlighted points, and, and this is kind of what it kind of broke down to be. She said she was hoaxed, uh, hoaxed him with an abduction story and remember meeting John Kennedy and Soviet Premier Mikita Khrushchev on a spaceship. She claimed that John's research was riddled with scientific irregularities, which, yeah, sure, you're the, the professional. Uh, she claimed John provided UFO material to read before the session, which would violate professional practice. So Wilworth was leaked the story by Bassett's husband, who was a fellow reporter in South Vietnam, and it called Wilworth out of the blue one day wanting to know if he would be interested in a story on a psychiatrist who was misusing his mystique in harmful ways. However, Bassett may have hoaxed Woolworth as well. If she fabricated the story, she did it way before she met John. Or maybe she was an experiencer all along. As she told communion author Whitley Strieber almost a year before meeting John in December 1991, according to documentation later collected by John, Bassett wrote Strieber saying, quote, I come from a family that has had experiences such as those you described in and as far back as I can remember. There's a lot of details in the story that we don't have time to go over. Like I said, a bunch of stuff. But in a nutshell... Um, they, Bassett and her husband ran into John at some UFO conference, maybe by happenstance, um, met with her husband, heard her stories of growing up in Tennessee near a plutonium plant. Uh, she was married previously and stand by for this. This paints a whole picture. Uh, previously she was married to a wannabe Nazi and a Satanist before landing her trophy husband that she currently has. Um, (laughs) she talked about UFO hovering uh, near the plutonium plants where she lived at near Tennessee, uh, her grandmother saw angels. Uh, when she was a kid, she was healed from an accident where she was punished by the neighbor for being Snoopy. And so he plunged her hands into a pot of boiling fudge, but was healed by apparitions. Soon after, magically learning how to play eight musical instruments and could then type 100 words per minute. That's just a snippet. Of this is all this Bassett. This, this is, is all from Bassett, Bassett lady. Yeah, this is that just sounds like lady. growing up in Tennessee to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this sounds like a Monday, Wednesday night anywhere in Tennessee. So, anyway, I just want to paint that because the more I read through, I was like, and this is where I, I, I personally feel John's gullibility came in because uh, he continued with it. So, um, he he went to the he met her with a couple times, met with her husband, and then on the last visit, they decided to take the plunge. And so, during a hypnotic regression, which she she later said was faked. She spun outlandish tales of the Kennedy-Khrushchev thing during the whole Cuban Missile Crisis. To make matters worse, somehow later on, she became a trusted member of John's nonprofit self-help group for research and aid to abductees, or GRAA. She took over the newsletter and was looking to replace the treasurer, Amy Anglin. And if you guys remember earlier, mm-hmm. Amy Anglin was another experience, right? So somehow John just, I think he brought <clears throat> these, did he feel bad for him, brought him into his little nest? I, I don't know. I don't know how... This whole thing, that's what it sounds like to me, but maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, Some funny things on this whole thing. So, in early 1993, Bassett cashed a check into a North Carolina bank account, a GRAA check made out to the organization for $2,840. It had Amy's signature on it, but Amy later said she didn't remember signing it. Bassett said years later that she didn't remember acting as GRAA treasurer and deposited in 
good faith, but couldn't remember which account she deposited it into. Quote, I would have spent it on the group, she recalled. I certainly would have not pocketed the money, unquote. So. Right. Yeah. This whole episode Hmm. fucking disgusted Bud Hopkins because, yeah, he heard about this shit too. Now it's in the Time magazine. You know, John's book's about to come out. Harvard's on the line. All this other bullshit. He just saw John falling as fucking victim for all this bullshit and tarnishing everything. He said, John should have asked Bassett if Alexander Haig had been on the spaceship too. If she would have said yes, John would have had her because Haig wasn't involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis then at all. Which, you know, small detail, right? Well, where was Bud for his friend during all of this? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how close they were. I mean, they were obviously close. They were, this is, they were know, way they close. Were very yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah. I think so I, I think maybe he saw this just unfold. It's like, oh, what the fuck? And, well, you know, like, honestly. I would, I, oh, go ahead. From every account I've heard, it was Bud's, like, gung-ho, yes, this is all real attitude mm. that kind of, right. like, led Mac down the fucking primrose path. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I'm with you. And like, he got him way into it and got him way excited about it and got him to the point where he was like, this is real legitimate academic research, especially in psychology. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like <sighs> Sad. there was a, <clears throat> I don't remember the name of it, but there was a podcast series that I listened to over like last summer that, talked a lot about bud hopkins and john mack and, and was that was stranger rivals yeah no, i was, think that's what it was oh, i think you're was talking mostly about, that, about uh betty and barney hill mm-hmm. but Which they talk a lot about too. the adap- adaptation <laughs> abduction phenomenon um yeah. and they talk a lot about john mack and and bud hopkins and bud hopkins I don't remember if he died or if they got divorced, but his former wife didn't have like glowing things to say about him. Either. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I, there's a lot to it. And, and again, we're focusing on John's life, but man, he had some influences and probably not the best ones for sure. You know, so <clears throat> this wasn't a good thing. You know, obviously it was a fucking setback. Um, John decided to try to get ahead of the game and go right to Harvard and try to clear the air. And that's when executive Dean handed him a letter. Dear John, <laughs> Sorry. During the past several weeks, we have received several inquiries concerning your work on alien abduction that relates to protocol formalization, uh, informed consent, and patient billing. I'm writing to inform you that the Harvard Medical School is appointing a committee of senior faculty members to undertake a review of your work on alien abduction in response to these concerns that have been raised in the press and elsewhere. The review will not be in the nature of a scientific misconduct inquiry. Instead, we will ask the committee to examine both the clinical care and research aspects of the work to assure its compliance with standards expected of a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Finally, let me emphasize that in undertaking this review, we are mindful of the right of any faculty member to espouse controversial or unpopular views. The subject of your work is not at issue here. Instead, our concern lies in accounts we have read as to how and under what circumstances the work was carried out and what safeguards were in place for the subjects. We believe those issues are of sufficient weight to warrant the action being taken. So, Kind of pissing his chairs on that one. So now he's in this mess. And not only that, but I, I don't uh, th- This is crazy. So with this whole thing, this panel lasted six months. Six months. 27 fucking sessions. And not only were the question John Mack through these 27 sessions, but they were bringing in multiple committee members. They were bringing in experiencers. And they were asking them, you know, that John had used either in his studies or were to be represented in the book. 
it, it just literally drove John to the corner and depression because, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, he's sunk in this many years and ambition into this, and now he's in this situation. And to add to the fact that he was still actively engaging in research and cases that would pop up from around the world, one such case took John um, time. He actually went to investigate it in South Africa in 1994. On September 14th at 10 o'clock p.m., Tim Leach, the BBC correspondent in Zimbabwe's capital, got a call from the principal immigration officer. Something large, quiet, and very weird just flew over his house about an hour before. Air traffic control confirmed this, and soon the calls lit up. Two days of gathering info, Leach contacted Cynthia Hind, MUFON's Continental Coordinator for Africa. She suggested Leach call John Mack at Pier. As this story unfolded, John went over Leach's messages and two days of supposed reports and sightings to find out that hundreds of people reported seeing something. Some were even believed to be a possible first contact. There was one thing in particular in Leach's report that possibly confirmed this. Uh, school children were pulled from the playground between 10 and 10.30 a.m., this one report said. Quote, uh, these are from one of the kids. While the strange small craft hovered over the trees and then landed and let out a black man, possibly an indigenous Zimbabwean, uh, Leach wrote. He also wrote about a three-year-old who saw a lion out of her bedroom window. But when she drew it, it did not look like a lion, said Leach, because lions don't stand up. So John and Dominic traveled to South Africa and talked to Leach, uh, Cynthia Hind, as well as school children, and handfuls of other witnesses. Witnesses varied from farm workers to fishermen to pilots. I mean, it went on from across the board. One of the witnesses was a seventh grader, 13 years old, by the name of Emily. Quote, I think it was quite unusual that the aliens came at the same time that the teachers were in the staff meeting. So the children saw actual creatures, asked John. Yes, Emily said. I saw there was about two little black men. They were all in tight black suits kind of thing, and there was like a big kind of like mothercraft, like a ship, and it had a saucer around it, and there were lots of little ones around it. One of the creatures was standing by the door like he was guarding it, and another was running around kind of like a human, but bouncier, like he was on the moon or something. They had oversized heads and black eyes, and no nose, just two holes, and long curly black hair. And then all of a sudden they just vanished like the speed of light. I blinked my eyes, and they were gone. So... Meanwhile, um, there was a final conclusion to John Mack's hearing at Harvard. They submitted a 30-page draft that, on the bright side, gave no recommendations for immediate action against John. So that's a good thing. However, the report was particularly critical of John Mack's failure to produce documentation to back up his claims of physical evidence, uh, burned earth grass from the UFO landings, skin lesions, missing pregnancies, yada, yada. Uh, The report faulted him for not subjecting his work to peer review, The report pretty much called his approach unscientific and unscholarly. So John responded back with a 50-page rebuttal to his lawyers. And at the end of the day, on July of 1995, uh, this was the outcome from the dean. John, I hope you're aware that this is not my intention to keep you from the study of a group of individuals whose perceived experience is hurtful to them, nor to prevent you from treating their emotional distress. Nor do I wish to deny your right to postulate a syndrome with a heterosexual... Hetero, hetero do, I don't know what that word is, ideology. Um, I am concerned, however, that in your enthusiasm, you do not violate the high standards for the conduct of clinical practice and clinical investigation that have been the hallmark of the faculty. Walk in a line between the rights of members of the faculty to inquire freely and the rights of patients as subjects is sometimes not easy. As stewards for the faculty of medicine, we need to protect both, and I hope you will help. So, Basically, that was best, right? I mean, the guy wasn't saying, they didn't say, nope, you're screwed, we're going to fire you, but they're saying, you be- you can still do this, but you better watch your P's and Q's and how you do yeah. it, basically. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a huge relief for him. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's out and about again. So shortly thereafter, John was off uh, to the Amazon with Dominique, and they had heard about uh, three eyewitnesses that had saw something deep in the jungles of the Amazon. So one of these nights when they were staying out, uh, he was standing on a veranda out in this uh, remote farmhouse out in the Amazon, and, and he was just, like, looking out at the stars. And there on the horizon was a small red object. It went one way, then another way. It disappeared, and then it reappeared. Had he finally seen a UFO? He honestly didn't know. But it's one of those things where he was hoping to. Um, in 1999, John had a follow-up to his first book. Uh, this new one would offer broader reframing of the abduction phenomenon, more so than his first book, and John thought this book would be his best. It was titled Passport to the Cosmos, Human Transformation and Alien Encounters. Dominic took the kudos for the title. Um, and then in December 30th, 2002, the woman who John would learn to call mother throughout the majority of his life passed away at 99. This led John down another strange road of researching life after death, uh, interviewing and researching possible poltergeist cases that he came across, even performing seances, like he was into all this now just because of what had happened. You know, He also was consumed with children that had memories of another life. Uh, he even threw crop circle phenomena in his wheelhouse and began studying those and traveling to do those encounters and everything else. Uh, before a trip to England, interview and research crop circles, John met with his friend Ralph Blum, author of the 1983 book, Book of Runes. Ralph had given John 25 runes that would represent different things. Joy, partnership, movement, defense, etc., etc. He was asked, uh, he asked John to draw a rune out of the bag, and the one he drew was blank. Some in the group that Ralph and John were in remember Ralph saying, a blank one could mean death, and then John just laughed it off. He didn't think it was a big deal. In South London, a one Raymond Sikowski, a 50-year-old computer systems manager, got home from work, took a bath, and went out to meet others for a fundraiser. It was a charity that raised funds to provide emotional and financial support to veterans of the armed services. That night, he was meeting others to sort through the list of the sales they had made from the charity by selling these red poppies, I guess, for the, whatever, you know, for the charity for money. As he worked with all the volunteers, he sipped on his favorite drink, which was a bitter shandy. It consisted of half IPA, half lemonade. He may have had five or six, you know, maybe yeah. seven. Uh, he wrapped up the work with the volunteers and jumped in his car and took home. This is about 11, 11 p.m. Meanwhile, John Mack, wearing a backpack, climbed out of an underground station in England as well. Uh, it was around 11.20 as he walked to meet a colleague about 20 minutes away. He crossed a grassy strip of whetstone stray over the Dallas Valley Brook and reached a crossing of Longland. He got about halfway across when his American instinct told him to look to the right. In England, anywhere heading south, anyone heading south, uh, westbound traffic comes from the left. Joukowsky suddenly saw someone in front of him looking the other way, slammed on his brakes as he hit John Mack, flung him in the air, and landed behind his car. The police arrived. They tested Joukowsky for alcohol, and he tested 50 micrograms in 100 millimeters of breath, whereas the legal limit was 40. John was still alive and rushed to the hospital with a fracture of the left tibia, fracture of the spine, multiple rib fractures, and an injury to the lungs. John died 20 minutes after midnight on Tuesday, September 28th, 2004. So. Damn. Um, some cool things to follow up here. And, and again, these are things maybe they were, maybe these came true, maybe they didn't. And again, this is a podcast where, you know, we'll talk about it, whether you believe it or not. I, I'd like to believe in kind of this stuff. Um, but this just come some uh, examples that I actually, somewhere in the book and one wasn't that I found. Um, two days after John's death, his friend Keane actually arranged a seance. According to Keane, John came through to actually talk to them. Uh, and this is John talking in, in his voice to her. 
It was as if I was touched with a feather. I didn't feel a thing. I was given a choice. Should I go or should I stay? I looked out at my broken body and decided to go, and there was Monty waiting for me. Another report was for Barbara Lamb, who had helped arrange a crop circle tour for John earlier in July, uh, said she had experience as well. She walked out to the patio, and suddenly she found it hard to breathe. Uh, She was afraid of choking to death, afraid of dying. She sat down in the chair. She closed her eyes and just tried to calm down, and she then sensed a presence. She could hear John's voice. Don't worry, Barbara. You'll be okay. We'll get through this. She had a sense of a ball of light entering her chest with a soothing warmth. She was able to breathe again, and she drifted off to sleep and never forgot the encounter. So many people had dreams about John after he died, especially those closest to him. They all truly believe that he is not gone, just transformed and watching over them, helping them from another reality. Despite John's downsides as far as many not being a great husband or a great father or maybe dabbling a little too much into this and too much into that, um, something that he just thought was beyond the door of our current reality, that's what he wanted to get to. It still doesn't change the fact that he was a true visionary uh, in, in my eyes, reading his book, like the guy I ordered his books too, by the way, and they're on, on the way. He, he just had a passion for what he did, albeit a little gullible at times, and, and it hurt him, you know. But without people such as John Mack in our life, who knows where we would be in regard to strange phenomena, especially the exhaustive and detailed work of alien abductions that continue to go to this day. They're a thing. So, the story of John Mack, guys. That was interesting. It's awesome. Um, I'm glad he did what he did. Uh, yeah, it's very true. Who knows where we would be with this phenomenon without his, his research. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of it's controversial and, you know, you can go one way or the other, but it all, but everything is, isn't it? Every, yeah. I mean, I mean, especially, yeah. especially in this like realm of like, I don't know, is it true? But well, could potentially be like, you know, if it, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, psychology wasn't even recognized as a real science until fairly fucking recently. So, yeah, true. You know, like true. it's it's kind of controversial in its own right. Yeah. And then when you start getting into hypnosis and um, hidden memories and and UFOs and shit, like you're, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely very wary of anything that's said under hypnosis. Agreed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because like I've even if you do say some crazy shit under hypnosis, like that, I to me that doesn't seem like it means it's real. I, well, it, and knowing knowing that this is what we were talking about, I was thinking about a lot of stuff over the week, and uh, like I was thinking about that episode of Hellier. I think it's in season two, where <clears throat> where they um, hypnotize their friend into thinking he's had an abduction experience who didn't believe in aliens at all before that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like they were basically like this experiment is to see if we can implant a memory. And, you know, and then they did, they go through all that and said that the dude's still freaked out about it to this day. It's like, yeah, that shit's weird. I tell, I tell you, dude, the mind's a terrible thing to taste. I mean, and so we've got another guest we're, we're trying to line up, knock on wood. Um, because we and we've talked about this before, the whole the mind itself is, is just I, I'm I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. It's not just about how we move, how we talk, how we walk. It's you know these computations that go through our head, these memories we can pluck out of nowhere. You you know the thing. I, I just I never could wrap my mind around the mind, like how consciousness, how does it work, how does it? And this kind of goes back to this. And when you look at these abductions and these you know being under hypnosis and 
I don't, yeah, it's a slippery slope, you know, and, and on top of that fact is, man, I'm not going to, I see people like in Vegas, I've been to Vegas watching shows where these supposed hypnotists bring people on stage and hypnotize them. I'm like, fuck you. You're the last some motherfucker that's going to put me under and try to tell me I'm going to bark like a chicken. I mean, I just, it, it don't play with this stuff. It just isn't a good thing. It's just I don't know, such part a of crazy, me just seems you know? like there's no way anybody can get me to do that. That's where I stand too. Till, like, till right, somebody gets do me this. to do I that. feel like I just be like, no, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Like, I guess you, you also have to like, really like buy into it and be like, okay. I like, think it's really letting that focus on that. And like, really yeah, letting guard like down. The, yeah. the only thing that I've ever seen or the, like, that makes me think maybe you don't have to also agree to it and, and let yourself be hypnotized are just those like, uh, street magicians or whatever that are like yeah i can hypnotize people by touching them or whatever you know like woody harrelson's character and uh now you see me or whatever like i don't believe that that's a real thing but that's the only like those are the only ones that make me think okay maybe if there is like a real thing to that then then yeah you could hypnotize someone who wasn't already like willing to be manipulated you know yeah but so here's a flip side of this real quick and and so, and I read this, actually, it's a book, I think. It was on the uh, whole um, Betty and Barney Hill. And it was talking that they never were abducted. They never saw anything. They actually got attacked by uh, a group. And in order to bury what had happened, because it was so horrific, their mind made up this group thing of aliens. Like, that's just what their mind saw and made that appear. So, and they didn't really, they didn't go on an alien spaceship. They didn't do this, they didn't do this. And, and the guy's very reputable. Like he's got doctors behind him and, and he has this whole theory. Um, I, you know, I don't, and it makes me wonder, there's people out there that Jesus Christ, you know, the people get into cults and the people that, I mean, it, there's people that can slip down that slope very, very easily. And you can't talk them out of that. So there's that other yeah. side of it. And, and I, I don't know. You know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy world. I wish we had the answer. We don't, but something with what John uh, Mack was involved in, man, he was looking for it. But at the same time, I think it, it overwhelmed him the whole idea of that it could be. And he lost a lot of the stuff and that's where the gullibility came into it. And that's where all this. Yeah. Stuff I think you got it. That's, that's the thing about yeah. this stuff is you, you have to, you have to stay an arm's length away from it. You got to be like, detached because you got to be able yeah. to yeah. look at it with a reasonable, like a phenomena that isn't reasonable. You have to be able to look at it through a reasonable lens. Right. And even if you do believe in it or you're interested in it, like you, you still have to look at it through a rational lens, even though, you know, the phenomena might not be yeah rational or make any sense absolutely well and and again we started this podcast because of our curiosity and there's some things we cover that's complete horseshit we all agree on it there's some things we cover like you know there's some people that have never seen a ghost or an apparition i've seen them i i I don't know where they come from it i I don't know if it's a ghost i don't know if it's a hallucination i don't know if i i don't know but i i know you can't tell me i did not see them you can't tell Mm -hmm. me i did not witness something and so, you know, it's hard to explain to the people that, that don't. So, you know, maybe I'm just as kooky as the person that gets sucked into the cult. Mm-hmm. But, man, I'll tell I you. I mean, that. yeah, I mean, know? I think, you know, I believe in UFOs. I, You know, I, what they are, I don't know that. I, right, right. I've never seen a ghost, but I think it's highly possible for some type of ghost, 
for lack of a better term, you know, yeah. I, you know, like, That's where I don't, we got. I don't doubt that you've seen them, like whatever they are, like, are they dead people? Are they this or that? Or, yeah. you know, who knows? But it's crazy. It is crazy. I don't know. I, uh, I tell you, I had a very, I had a great time writing this. Um, and, and again, there's a lot more to cover. You know, we, we could have made a lot out of this. So I, I just kind of picked away the high points and really the strife with John was his book and his research and, Harvard and all that other bullshit. Like, really, that's really, man, that could have broken him down really easy, you know, and and it didn't. So, you know, he survived, and that's what I wanted to focus on, and I appreciate you guys listening. Like I said, I, I, you know, some of you knew it, some of you didn't, um, and you listeners out there, uh, you know, if you got more to add to this, by all means, we'd love to hear from you. Um, You can write us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. You can call us at 801-252-69. Forty-five. Don't just, have the thing. Just, just, don't, just don't have. Just don't have the thing. Still not there. Um, how are we on socials? <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck it. We're at Instagram, Facebook at Strange Uncles Podcast. We're on Twitter at Strange Uncles. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, I think that's about it. Awesome, awesome. Um, I'm going to throw a little got more things on Twitter. I find kind of figured out how to do something cool, so I'll start advertising that way. So hopefully you guys can, you know, gain some traction and, and share the wealth on that for sure. Uh, and, again, if you have any, uh, you know, topics, you know, feel free to reach out. But that was great. That was John Mack. I think uh, I wouldn't mind digging into Bud Hopkins one of these days, honestly, because he's kind of a character's own right, I think. There's a lot of them out there. And, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, we have no – we have no lack of content for sure, so we can just kind of continue. But um, I don't know. You guys got anything else? Nope. Just uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Absolutely. Close the gates. <laughs>